worship and respond like I'm 100%. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It's the second book in your Bible, if you're having trouble finding it. Genesis is the first, and Exodus comes next. Exodus chapter 20, and beginning with verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Now please pay attention to these. You know, I've, I've said it so many times. Sometimes the small words we overlook carry a lot of significance. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it, or made it holy. That's what the word hallowed means. Focusing on verse number eight, in fact, the first three words of that verse is what I'm going to use as my title tonight. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Would you put your Bibles down and lift your hands and lift your voices and ask God to help me tonight and ask Him to help you tonight that you could receive the Word of the Lord tonight as God wants it delivered to you. Let's, let's everybody pray together. Would you praise the Lord together, everybody? Let's praise God together. Come on, let's praise Him together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In one of our Face the Truth live episodes, I was asked a question 
And I went back and looked up the question the way it was written down in my notes. And so please bear with me tonight as I lay a bit of a foundation for where I want to go. The question said, in teaching about tithing, you stated that God's moral law never changes. You also stated that the Ten Commandments were a part of the moral law. As you know, keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Is that still binding on us as a church? And so when I set about to answer that question, I, I began by explaining what I meant by the moral law. And, and again, for the sake of those who may not have heard me teach on this in the past, please bear with me. I, I feel like it's important that I cover every base tonight. But I explained that within the law of Moses, there were three distinct sets of laws. There was the civil law. There was the ceremonial law, and there was the moral law. The civil law applied to the Jewish nation. It addressed things like crime and punishment, dealing with foreigners, care for widows and orphans. It was a part of their civil government. Then the ceremonial law applied to the Jewish religion. It addressed things like their form of worship, animal sacrifices, holy days, and dietary restrictions. I then went on to explain that we as the church are not bound by the ceremonial law because we're not a part of the Jewish religion. We're not, we're, we're not bound by the civil law because we're not a part of the Jewish nation. But the moral law is something altogether different. Because the moral law applied and continues to apply to the people of God. Regardless of their nationality, regardless of what religion they might consider themselves. The moral law deals with those things that reflect the moral code of God himself. And, and I pointed out that the Ten Commandments, things like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? Those things are still binding on the church today. Because they are a part of God's moral law. So then the question is, since the Ten Commandments are a part of God's morality, and one of the commandments is the keeping of the Sabbath, do we have to keep the Sabbath today? Now, I want to remind you that Jesus... When he came to this earth, he stressed the importance of keeping the spirit of the law rather than being overly focused on the letter of the law. Are you going to help me tonight? Um, if you are, it'd be nice to hear 
more than one amen coming from the crowd. Yes, sir. Um, Matthew 23 and verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not, le not to leave the other undone. What Jesus condemned the Pharisees for was that they never caught the spirit of the law. They were focused on, on, on uh, fixating on the wording and making applicable rules so that they kept every syllable of what was said. But if they could get around it in some way, For example, Jesus said, you know that it's wrong to commit adultery. Right. But he said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's the same thing. Right. Well, the, the, the Jews weren't practicing things like that because that's not what the law said. Right. Right. He addressed the fact that the Jews could not curse their father and mother, but if they didn't like them, they had allowed this exception that something that was owed their parents, they could say, well, I'm just going to give it to God instead and thereby get away with not giving it to their parents. And the Jews allowed that. And Jesus said, you're missing the spirit of the law. Paul also dealt with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, now, now look, because of this, Jesus did not come and make things easier. This is a misconception that many, many people who call themselves Christians today, they've got this misconception that under the Old Testament it was really hard. But under the New Testament, you could just do anything. But Jesus clearly stated, it's not easier now. Well, I didn't get any amens on that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Listen. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on I a woman. I think you skipped one there. Skip back. Go back to verse 21. 21, sorry. Yeah. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, now, now look, you tell me which one's harder. Under the Old Testament, don't kill. Under the new system, don't be angry with your brother. All right, now go to verses 27 and 28. Ye have heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. All right, so we, we've, we've addressed this. This is what we've got to understand is, is getting the spirit of the law, right. not focusing on the letter of the law. Now look, if you think the New Testament brought a lighter expectation, 
you have not read the book of Hebrews. Read for me Hebrews 10, verses 28 and 29. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much... Now listen to this. Of how much... Sorer punishment. Sorer punishment. Suppose ye. Suppose ye. Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the... Unto the spirit of grace. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews said? He said, now under Moses' law, you just died without mercy. But he said, how much sorer punishment is going to come upon us today? When they transgressed, they were simply transgressing the blood of bulls and goats. But when we transgress, we are trampling underfoot the blood of our Savior. It's not easier today. Well, hallelujah. And, and the same thing, when, when, we, when we get into this whole idea of the spirit of the law, we, we've got to keep this in mind when we look at keeping the Sabbath day holy. Now, this is where we've started, and this is the topic, so stay with me here tonight. We want to focus on the spirit of the law, not just the letter. The purpose of the Sabbath was a day of rest. Everyone say rest. That was the purpose. But listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 28 verse 11 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Now, now listen to what he said. With stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest. This is the Sabbath. What is? Stammering lips and another tongue. That's the Sabbath. Well, Hallelujah. And so then, in light of that, this is Isaiah 28, 11. Now go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Did, did you catch that? We're just reversing the two. Isaiah 28, 11. Now Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I will give you what? Rest. rest. And what is the rest? Stammering lips and another tongue. Jesus said, if you're weary in spirit, you come to me, I'll give you the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is our spiritual rest. And because the Holy Ghost is living in us, once again, things aren't easier. You have one day a week you have to keep holy. No, no, no. But now it's every day of our lives. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of us, and we have to keep every day holy. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so... This is a part of God's moral law, and it's still binding on us today. But it's more stringent under the new covenant, just like so many other things, because it's not just once a week. We find rest 
By staying full of the Holy Ghost. And we can only stay full of the Holy Ghost if we make every day holy. Well, praise God. Now, having said all that, that was the answer that I gave on Face the Truth, and I stand by that answer. However, there is something else that the Lord began to deal with me about as far as this whole idea of a Sabbath. And I, and I want you to consider this with me tonight. As I mentioned to you back in February, I, I read an article by a Jewish rabbi. And the article was entitled, Making the Sabbath Holy. And, and in that article, he addressed the passage that I used as my text. So let's just go back and read that again. Uh, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, now there's some things that I want you to notice here. I want you to notice that God felt so strongly about this being a holy day that he said, not just you, but you make sure your children observe this and you make sure any stranger that comes into your territory observes this. Whether they know it or understand it doesn't matter. Furthermore, you make sure your animals. Did he say it or didn't he? Now, God feels pretty strong about it. Now, this rabbi started dealing in this article with some very important nuances that, that as, as he pointed out, can really only be noticed if you read this passage in the original Hebrew, which I'm not able to do, and so I had to trust him. I, I've got some tools. I can go back and look at some things. I'm... I started trying to learn Hebrew, and it's been a very difficult task. I am not nearly, nearly able to just sit down and read it. I can promise you that. So I had to trust him. I had to look into some things that he said to make sure he was telling us the truth. But he, he addresses some things about this passage that, as I said, just reading it in the English, you don't notice. One of them is found in verse 9. Read verse 9 for me again. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Now, he pointed out the focus of the Sabbath is not just to take a day off. Now, follow with me. If that was the case, there would be no need for this last phrase, and do all thy work. If it's just about taking a day off, he could have said, six days shalt thou labor. Period. But he didn't. He said that in these six days, you are to do all your work. 
Nothing in the scripture is redundant. Nothing in the scripture is unnecessary. Therefore, God had a reason for adding the phrase, do all thy work. And again, God didn't just say, six days shalt thou labor and do thy work. But he said, do all thy work. Now the rabbi then he points this out and then he asked this question. He said, what does this even mean? He said, when was the last time you ended a week with all your work done? He then adds, unless you happen to retire on a Friday, this is impossible. And once the weekend is over, work starts again. And so, in order to explain the purpose of this phrase, here's what he said, and, and please forgive me, I'm, I'm having to quote from him a lot tonight, but I'm going somewhere, so stay with me. He states, and I quote, the Jewish sages of 2,000 years ago were sensitive to this strange word, all, and commented as follows, is it possible for a person to complete all his work in six days? Rather, they said, the intent of the verse is rest on the Sabbath as though all your work is complete. He continues, in other words, the word all teaches us that we are to enter the Sabbath with the frame of mind that all our work is done. The Bible's telling us it's not enough for us not to work on the Sabbath. That would be fine if the sole purpose of the Sabbath was merely to give us a break with a day off. But the Sabbath is meant to be a sanctified day, a day set apart for God. To achieve this, he said, we must put work out of our minds completely. If we are really devoting this time to God, then we got to quit thinking about work. Well, and then at this point, he offered an explanation for the opening verse. Verse 8, read that for me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this rabbi, this, this, this Jewish scholar, offered that the actual translation of this verse is different than the way it appears in the English. He says, he says that the original says this, remember the Sabbath day to make it holy. He says we should note that many translations render this phrase to keep it holy, but this is incorrect. There's no other way to say it. He then tells us the word, uh, lakadesho, is clear and simple to translate. It means to make it holy or to sanctify it. The reason these translators opt for to keep it holy has nothing to do with the actual translation. 
Rather, they're sensitive to the fact that way back in Genesis 2, we read that God had blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He then says, if God already made the seventh day holy, how can we be commanded to make it holy again? But, he says, these translators are missing the point, as I will explain. He continues, the way we infuse the day with holiness, the way we ensure that it is truly set aside for God is by disengaging from our material, financial lives and concerns. This is accomplished by entering into the Sabbath as though all your work is complete. As for the question of how we're commanded to make the Sabbath holy when God already made it holy, the answer is clear and powerful. God indeed set aside the seventh day for a higher purpose. He made it holy. But God also created a partnership with man. Without our cooperation, the Sabbath can lose its holiness. It can be profaned. We are responsible to declare the holiness of the Sabbath every week. In this way, we align ourselves with his will as creator. All right. Good, Pastor. Among his concluding remarks, he states, older Christian readers will attest to the fact that in previous generations, Sunday was much more of a Sabbath. Work and commerce were largely absent from the Christian life. Sadly, this is mostly lost. What's more, due to the ubiquitous, uh, ubiquitous technology and, uh, that dominates our lives, the need to disengage from worldly affairs to properly honor God is needed more than ever before. And his final statement is, now more than ever, we need the Sabbath in our lives. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, sir. Now, church, there's a whole lot of ways I can go with this. And let me, let me just, um, let, let me, again, I, I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to go back and put us under the Jewish law. But I do think we have missed a very important principle if we only consider the law of the Sabbath as a spiritual thing. Well, praise God. I'm going to tell you, there's way too much business going on in our minds during every church service. When we come to give God this time, we're not giving it to God. We're hanging on to it. We're worried about things that will bother us, something that's going to come up. We're worried about some bill we've got to pay. We don't really walk into God's house as though our work is done. Well, I remember. I mean, I know most of you... Most of you, I think, are probably too young to remember uh, the, the, uh, the Sunday laws that were in place. There were a lot of things you couldn't sell on a Sunday. A lot of businesses just shut their doors on a Sunday. Doesn't happen anymore. And unfortunately, we as apostolics have fallen right in line with the business world. And we're going to go conduct our business. And we're going to do things where we have, we have just totally, we, we might think about God during part of a service, but that's about the best he's going to get out of us. My, my, my. But I'm here to tell you, we've got to go back to making that time.
time holy. We've got to get control of our thoughts. We've got to bring our thoughts into captivity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, I've got a long way to go and not much time to do it in. But I, I do believe that God wants us. In fact, that God created us to observe a physical rest or Sabbath. Listen, our minds need that time away from our jobs. Our minds need that time away from our finances. Away from our problems. I've, I've lost a bunch of you already tonight. But I feel this so strong. I just don't think we're really giving God as much as he deserves. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I want you to consider what Jesus said to his disciples. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert now, listen place. Listen to what Jesus said. This is New Testament. He says to his disciples, Come ye apart yes. into a desert place and rest a while. And rest a while. Read. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. They went into a desert place. By ship, privately. Why? Because they had been so busy and Jesus knew they needed rest. If you could, if you could put verse 31 back up there again, I, wanna, I just want to draw something out of this verse. I've said this many times. But I'm going to say it again tonight because it is so applicable. Jesus said, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Or in other words, come apart and rest. And here's what I tell people. If you don't once in a while come apart and rest, you'll just come apart. God built us. He created us. To have a time of rest. In fact. God felt so strongly. About the need for rest. That as I mentioned. Not only did the animals have to observe it. But do you realize. The land had to observe it. Leviticus 25. Verses 1 through 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses. And Mount Sinai saying. Speak unto the children of Israel. And say unto them. When you come into the land. Which I give you. Then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the then Lord. Then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune, prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest, Thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of, the vine, of thy vine under, undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. Now, now look, I'm just telling you, this is how strongly God feels about this principle. Even the land had to take a rest. 
And you know that when Israel failed to observe this, God judged them. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 20 and 21. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word to of fulfill the Lord, the word of the Lord by, the mouth of by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had, until enjoyed, the land had enjoyed her, Sabbath. her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. Now, now look, this is what the Bible says. God kept them in captivity. Because for 490 years, they had ignored the sabbatical year the land was supposed to get. 490 years. Every seventh year, they, they went ahead and worked their land. And one day, God said, I'm going to judge you for that. And he sent them into captivity for 70 years. One-seventh. Of that 490 year period. Why? The land didn't get its Sabbath. I think God feels pretty strongly about this. Well praise God. Now if I could just kind of. I'm not really changing direction. But, but just leave that thought where it is. While I talk to you for just a few minutes. About the Apostle Paul. Now, look, I, I, don't want to, I don't want anybody to think I am in any way running Paul down because I'm not. Paul was, in my opinion, the greatest apostle of the New Testament. He wrote more than two-thirds of the New Testament. The man was mightily used of God. I'm in no way putting him down. But one thing that I've said over and over about the Bible is that the Bible not only shows the, the good things of the heroes, it shows their weaknesses and faults too. And I'm not telling you that this is completely a fault, but I thought about this the other day in a way I had never considered it before. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, now here's what I want you to notice. Paul said, look, I, I, I am I, I'm, I'm a monetary exchange when it comes to you as a church. I will let you spend me. Until I am spent for the cause of the gospel. And that's notable and noble. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I admire his willingness to be spent. But here's what I thought about the other day that I'd never considered. There is a problem with that. And that is once you're spent... You're spent. There are no refunds. Once Paul was completely spent, 
the church no longer got its letters. They no longer had their apostle because he was now totally spent. Now, look, this is in chapter 12. You back up one chapter and you see that Paul had already told them how he had been spent. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. Listen to this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors... Can, can we get this up on the wall, please? This is 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. It's 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. I may have failed to enter that one. I'm sorry. All right. Start again. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, in more labors abundant. More abundant. In stripes, stripes above, measure. above measure. In prisons, prisons more, frequent. more frequent. In deaths, oft. deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Five times I was given thirty-nine stripes. Thrice. That's was lashes I with a whip. Five times they did that to me. Thrice. Was I beaten? Three with times I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Once they took up stones to stone him. And the Bible tells that story in the book of Acts. He was left for dead. Read. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Three times I've been in shipwrecks. A night and a day I've been in the deep. I spent an entire night and day in the sea. In journeyings often. Journeyings often. In perils, perils of, waters, of waters. In perils of robbers. Robbers. In perils by my own countrymen. My own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. The heathen. In perils in the city. In the city. In perils in the wilderness. In the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In the sea. In perils among false brethren. Among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. Weariness, painfulness. In watchings Watching. In hunger and hunger, thirst, in thirst, fasting, often, fasting, in cold and cold nakedness, nakedness. Beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And to top it all off, I've got all these churches that are looking to me for direction. And all these ministers that are wanting my help and wanting my counsel. Yeah, Paul, I appreciate the fact that you were willing to be spent. But I can't help but wonder how much more might the kingdom of God have benefited and been blessed had you not allowed yourself to be completely spent at a relatively early age. And of course, none of this even mentions the ultimate expenditure when he was beheaded. But he laid it out in front of everyone. This is how I've been spent. I want you at Corinth to know just how much I've been spent over these last several years. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he was willing to do all of that. 
But I'm just telling you, I wonder if all of it was really what God wanted. I do know there was a time he was getting ready to go to Jerusalem and God sent a prophet and said, you're going to be bound if you go. And everybody there said, please don't. But Paul said, I'm willing to go. And he went. And he was bound. And when he was bound, he then made an appeal to Caesar. And at some point along the way, they said, if you had not appealed to Caesar, we would have let you go. But because you appealed to Caesar, you're going to Caesar. And it was Caesar who beheaded him. Is it possible that Paul may have been able to be a little more valuable for a little while longer? Had he taken some time to rest? Now, having said all of that, I want to talk to you from my heart. I feel like because Paul was willing to be transparent and list his battles and struggles, that that gives me the right to speak frankly and transparently to this church. I had hoped that everyone could be here tonight, but sickness and other things keep folks from being here. I do hope that those that are sick are listening tonight. Those who cannot listen, I hope that they will listen soon. I do want to say before I even start tonight that I am not complaining. For I too am willing to be spent. I'm just explaining things that I know many of you don't know. And I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me for just a few more minutes tonight. Almost 28 years ago, I came here to this church. What many of you don't know is the extreme battle I had faced before I got here. And how wounded and hurting and exhausted I was. It was one of the most intense spiritual battles that anyone could ever imagine. I know some of you may not believe this, but I am telling you the truth tonight. I would not stand behind this pulpit or sit behind this pulpit and lie. I fear God too much. But I can tell you stories of hearing the spirits walking through my house. Where I was before I came here. I can tell you of having witchcraft practiced against me. I can tell you of physical threats made against me in the church house. I could tell you of my phone being tapped. Many people would not believe what I went through before I arrived here. And when I got here, I faced unbelievable challenges. I talked to our leadership team the other night telling them, most of this, 
there were things, now Brother Jerry and Sister Reba obviously were here from the time I got here. But there were things that even they didn't know. My first Sunday here, the men who were then on the church board called me into the office and informed me that I would receive no pay as pastor of this church. That I would have to go get a job and support myself. It was their full intention to give every penny that came in to the support of Sister Hilton, who had just lost her husband tragically. Now, I can tell you, Sister Hilton was a sweetheart. She called me that afternoon and said, Brother Riggin, this is not right. You're the pastor. Sister Hilton headed that one off for me. And I am forever indebted to her for that. But when I got here, not only were most of the people not following any kind of outward holiness, but many of them did not even know our doctrine. And they were in positions of leadership. We had people that were doing things in leadership that had never been baptized in Jesus' name. We had one woman teaching Sunday school that we found her Sunday school curriculum where she was teaching the kids the steps of salvation were A, B, C, accept, believe, confess. That was going on in this church when I arrived. In the wounded, hurting state I was in. I spent the first year teaching apostolic doctrine and we lost several people because of it. I spent the second year teaching on holiness and separation and we lost several people because of it. Now somewhere along the way we did see a period of tremendous growth and Brother Jerry probably remembers those times when our parking lot was absolutely packed and this building was full. We had as many as, I think, 150 in attendance. Huge crowds. And it seemed like things were going to go very well until the devil stepped in again and we lost about two-thirds of the congregation. That left the church in a huge financial bind. What that meant was, and I'm not saying this for my glory, I'm just telling you the truth. That during many of those years, I took very little, if any, income from this church. Instead, just made sure the lights stayed on and the bills were paid. In time, I went through a family situation. That brought me to the point where I stood before this congregation and offered to them my resignation. They did not accept it. But I was at an emotional low I had never encountered before. We did our best to fight our way through that, to get through that situation. Once again, we started to see some growth, see some things happen. And then in 2008, the economy crashed. 
Most of the people in the church, which was still a fairly small group, lost their jobs. And it put us once again in a place where I chose to just not take anything so the church could survive. It was during that time that Brother Brent Calvert had a food pantry at his church, gave me access to it. And I would go and buy food from the food bank and bring it to this church and told the church, if you'll just come and be faithful, I'll buy the food from the food bank and it won't cost you anything. I'll take care of it. And I and the majority of the church congregation lived out of that food bank. We got through that and then in a few years the door opened and I'm skipping over a whole lot but in a few years the door opened in Africa. And that put a level of stress and strain on me. In those early years I made as many as six trips within a 12 month period. During one of those trips my father passed away. I boarded a plane on a Saturday, left a conference in progress, flew home, arrived in Dallas on Sunday morning. My son-in-law picked me up at the airport, drove me to my father's visitation that night. His funeral was the next morning on a Monday. I attended the funeral on that Monday, and then... On Tuesday, I boarded a plane and flew back to Africa. Arriving on Wednesday at about noon, we drove to the conference site and I went immediately to the pulpit and preached for six hours. I didn't even have time to grieve for my father. The next few years were fraught with constant travel. The burden of Africa and the burden of this church. And then came pressure from men that I highly respected telling me you've got to choose one or the other. You can't keep doing both. And they began to encourage me to pursue the work in Africa and to turn this church over to someone else. Very few of you were here during that time. There are a few those of you that were here know how all of that turned out. In just six short weeks, the man I had turned it over to was told by the board to either resign or they were removing him. Because of charges that he started making against me, the board had to investigate my life, which I didn't mind. But they went through everything in my life with a fine-tooth comb. And it was a while before I was able to come back to this church where my heart was. But it knocked the wind out of this congregation. It also planted some seeds of deep rebellion. People that had been faithful to me for more than 20 years 
turned against me and walked out. By the time the dust settled, we had about 20 people. There was no worship here. There was no faith. During some of the most severe moments of all of that, I reached a point where I won't go into the details, but I was on the verge of a complete nervous and mental breakdown. And God stepped in and intervened. Once I came back, there was a period of time when we didn't have local preachers in this congregation. Brother Goff was pastoring. Brother Brandon Hilton was pastoring. Brother Merriman was pastoring. Brother Jared Hilton was in Colorado Springs. And during some of the most crucial moments in the history of this church, I carried the load by myself. Once again, I had to go months, months sometimes of taking no income from the church whatsoever. And all of this can be verified. And again, I'm not complaining. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from tonight. But even when things began to turn around again, my health began to decline. In fact, if you'll remember, it was my bad health that caused me when we were still meeting because of COVID, we were meeting remotely. That I talked to the church and said, I'm going to have to have Surgery on my stomach because the doctors have told me it would help to resolve a lot of the physical problems that I'm having. Instead of it helping those problems, the sad fact is some of them have gotten worse. Just six months after that major surgery, I had to have another major surgery. No time to really even recuperate. Now I'm having health issues. I won't go through the list. But during all of this, for the entire 28 years, I've not ceased to carry a burden, carry the burden of this church. To the point that if I ever was gone, if necessary, I'd get up in the middle of the night to listen to the service because I love this church and I care about what's going on here. If I ever decided to leave town for a few days, I wouldn't get two hours away and I was texting somebody, calling somebody. A lot of times it was Brother Jerry Hilton. Saying, look, this needs to be done. This needs to be done. Let's not forget about this. We've got to do this for the church. In the few times that I tried to take most, most of my travel, as many of you know, has not been vacations. It's been preaching conferences, preaching meetings, preaching revivals. I'm here to tell you I've not kept 
a Sabbath. Where many of you can clock off of your job and go home and rest at night, I can't. Because I'm on the job 24-7. And I'm not complaining. I'm explaining to them. When I'm gone, I've asked for the, the, the men in the church. I've asked Brother Jared Hilton, Brother Goff when he was here, or Brother Merriman, or Brother Brandon Hill, whoever was here. I would ask them, send me a full report. I want to know everything that happened in the service. I want to know who was there. I want to know who was missing. Why? Because I want to be a micromanager? No, but because I care about you. And because I'm carrying this burden for you. And what it now appears, as most of you I know have asked and asked if they've found anything, they've run tests on me, they've tried to figure out what's going on in my body, and they're not finding anything, and it brings it all down to one thing. Stress. In fact, while we were in Africa, Brother Brian Jones and his wife were there, and we were, somehow the subject came up of these stomach spasms that I've been having. Sister Jones said her sister had had the very same stomach surgery I had, and they were finally able to find out that what was going on was that her intestines were twisting inside of her. My wife asked her, Sister Jones, what did they do for your sister to fix this? She said they put her on nerve pills. Church, I've already dealt with medicine and medications, and you know I'm not against going to doctors. But there are some medications that are for stress and anxiety that alter your personality. I'm not willing to do that. I'm just not. And if it's stress and anxiety that is bringing this on, then I've got to find a way to alleviate the stress. Again, I'm not complaining. I'm explaining. I've spent a lot of time praying. I've spent a lot of time counseling with my elders. I've counseled with peers. In one case, I even talked to a man who's much younger than I am, and I'll explain the reason for that in just a moment. But can I tell you that without exception, and this is a rare thing, but without exception, every one of them advised me that what I need is to take a time of sabbatical. I need a rest. Not a day or a week. But I need an extended period of time that I can try to get my health back together. I want this church to know, and I, I don't know if some of you got it in your mind I was about to resign. I'm, I'm here to tell you that's what I'm trying to keep from doing. Do you understand? I don't want to be so spent that I can't continue to serve. Until God lifts the burden. I believe I've still got a lot of good years ahead of me. I don't believe that my time here is up. 
yet. Well, I had hoped I'd get more than two amens on that one, but. But what I am telling you is that these men have all said that you're going to have to get away. And you're going to have to let go for a little while. And you're going to have to let your body heal. Now, Bishop Howard did this several years ago. He went on a three-month sabbatical. And he came back and was able to pastor the church for a number of years after that. During that time, he had his assistant pastor, Brother James Short, in full charge of the church. Brother Howard even went so far as to tell the church that if you try to call me, I'm not going to answer my phone. I've got to disconnect. And the church honored that. And as I said, he was able to come back at the end of that period of time and serve with vigor and fervor and give of himself in greater measure. This is why I called Brother James Short, a man much younger than me. I asked him, Brother Short, were there negative ramifications for what happened during that time? You're the man that carried the load. Tell me about it. He said, Brother Riggin, of course the church didn't want Brother Howard to go, but they understood the need. They understood the situation. And they supported him in doing it. They were thrilled when he came back. But during that time, Brother Short said God kept his hand on this church and protected this church. And there were no problems. As I said, I've prayed about this for a long time. I've sought counsel. I do believe it is the right thing for me right now. I've done my best to step behind this pulpit every service, no matter how I feel, and give you my very best. But I can only do that for so long because I'm human. As I said, I don't want to resign. And that's not my plan. My plan is to be gone for however long it takes to get my strength, to heal, to get out from under some stress, and then come back and give you what I'm praying and believing will be the best years of my life. But I'm at a point where I'm just being honest and transparent. I don't feel like I'm giving you what you deserve. I just don't. I don't feel like I'm able to do what I want to do. Those of you who know me well know that everything I do, I want to do it top notch. But there's just been a whole lot of times that I've had to step to this pulpit and I did not feel like it was anywhere near top. It was the best I could do at the moment. But I felt like you deserve so much better. This is a wonderful church. 
You are a tremendous group of people. I was talking to Brother Mays Sunday night after church and he was relaying to me how he went in to the doctor because of his heart problems. His doctor said, I don't understand it. There's good health in your family. His dad didn't have to have any stents in his heart until he, I think he was in his 80s. And he said, now you're having heart problems? He said, I don't understand it. You're not doing things that would cause these kinds of problems. And finally the doctor said, well, tell me this. What do you do for a living? He said, I'm a pastor. He said, the doctor threw his hands in the air and said, that explains it. That's one of the most high-stress jobs in the world. And it just is. Because there is no break. I'm a slave to my phone. I'm telling you, I do my best to get back to everybody as soon as I can. Sometimes it takes me a little while because I've got something else going on. Sometimes I've got back-to-back calls. I've got preachers that call me for advice and counsel. You know, in that regard, I feel like the Apostle Paul. I've not only got everything else, I've got the care of all these other churches. And I'm a slave to that phone. And I know I am. But I am asking you to be understanding during this time. Beginning January the 1st, I'm going to take a time of sabbatical. It's going to last for an undetermined period. Bishop Johnson instructed me to tell the church it would not be more than three months. I'm going to be honest with you, as much as I Love this church. I don't know how I'm going to do it for that long. I don't see how I can do it for that long. But I'm just telling you what Bishop Johnson told me to tell you. I will take as long as I need, but not more than three months to try to heal. Now, during this time, Brother Jared Hilton is going to be totally and completely in charge. He's going to have full authority as the overseer, not the pastor, but the overseer of this assembly. I want to tell you how I feel about Brother Jared Hilton. Read for me. We've got a few more scriptures. I know it's 9 o'clock. I'm nearly done. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Paul said, I can't be there myself, so I'm sending Timothy. Read. For I, know, for I have no man like-minded. I have like-minded no man like-minded. Who will naturally care for your state. Who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father... He hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Paul said, I have no man like-minded. In other words, there's not another who would feel the way Paul felt about the church or who would handle things as closely to the way Paul would handle them. He said, Timothy would naturally care for your state. 
And according to Barnes' notes, that means he would regard their interests with a sincere tenderness and concern. He might be depended on to enter heartily into their concerns. I want to tell you, church, for those of you who don't know, Brother Jared Hilton was had just turned three years old when I moved here. First time I came to preach, he had not yet had his third birthday. I was elected on April the 15th, and his birthday is April 22nd. So one week after I was elected, he turned three. There is not another man that has served under me as long as he has. And even his brother who is now pastoring, he was here at that time, but you understand he's on his own now. And it's not a, it's not a service to service and day to day communication the way it is with brother Jared Hilton and I. Doesn't mean I don't trust the other men. Doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is that he's had 20, almost 28 years of experience watching how I do things. And I can tell you firsthand, he carries a burden for this church and for each of you. Now, I told you some months ago that I felt like God was getting ready to change something in his ministry. And one of the things that has... That, that, that has come to me about all of this is I believe there's no better preparation than what he's about to experience. You know, in the old days, you want to teach somebody to swim, you just threw them in the water. That's what I'm about to do to him. I'm throwing him in and saying, learn how to swim. And my phone will be open to him, but he also will have direct contact to the elders of this church. Bishop Johnson, Brother Burgess. He's got the other sons in the gospel that are out pastoring his brother, Brother Merriman, Brother Goff. But he's also got me that if he needs to, he can call. But I'm asking you, church, to honor this and to honor him as you would your pastor. You say, well, how can he at 30 years old understand what I'm going through? I was 24 when I started pastoring. I was pastoring people old enough to be my grandparents. And one of the ladies came to me and said, I don't know how you can understand what I'm going through. And I said, sister, I can't. But Jesus does. And I'll do my best to stay in touch with him so he can explain it to me. I'm going to ask you to be respectful. I know for some of you, you you've been raised around him, and, and, and sometimes it's hard for me. I, I used to hold him on my lap. And sometimes I fall into that trap of just calling him Jared. But I'm going to tell you, there is something about the name you use that affects the way you look at the individual. And I'm asking you to please refer to him as Brother Hill. Look to him. Trust him. As I said, if it's a situation where he needs to, he can call me. Or he can call our elders. 
He'll get advice. One thing I know about him, he'll get advice. So please know, I am not resigning. I am not turning the church over to him permanently. I'm trying to avoid resigning. I want to get out from under the stress and focus on getting well so I can give you my best. And so I am officially appointing him as my pastoral assistant beginning at this moment. And during our watch night service, I intend to get him and his wife down around the front. It's late now. I'm getting ready to dismiss you. I'm going to have him and his wife down around the front. And here's what we're going to do. This is my last scripture, Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. Now this is biblical. In the Old Testament, God took Moses' spirit and put it on leaders. Now they needed more than one because they had about two and a half million people. But I'm going to pray. My wife and I are going to pray. We're, we plan to do this watch night. We're going to pray that God will take our spirit and put it upon this couple. And I believe God will honor that. I believe God will do that. Now, I've got to close. But this is a moment when I've got to talk to you as your pastor. Because I'm not leaving. I'm going to continue to be your pastor. And I need to talk to you as your pastor right now. But I've, I've repeatedly said to this church, and let's just face facts, when I'm gone, a lot of you kick it into neutral. You don't really worship. You don't really get involved during pre-service prayer. You don't have to say amen. It's the truth anyhow. When the pastor's away, the saints will play. But I want you to understand, church, that if it does end up being three months, this church could die if you don't step up to the plate and make up your minds for the sake of your pastor and for the sake of this church. I'm going to give more of myself in every service. I'm not going to let his absence affect my response in the church. Other than the fact that I'm going to respond more. I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to worship more fervently. Now look, some of you are going to have to take on some responsibilities. We're already shorthanded. With the golfs leaving, it left us very shorthanded. And I wish that I could put this off a while, but I'm just telling you, I know where I'm at physically. And so unfortunately, now's the time. And I'm saying to you, you're going to have to be willing to step up and take on some more responsibility. 
I've said from the time I came back in 2017, I've said repeatedly to this church, there are spirits you're going to have to fight. Can anybody say amen to that? You've heard me tell you. I'm telling you this is the time, church, when you've got to carry this load. You've got to come together. Now, this is why we are reinstituting the Care Captain program. This is going to be one of the ways that we're going to help stay on top of things in my absence. We have divided every household under one of three men within this church. And those three men will answer to Brother Hilton. But they're going to be calling you to check on you or texting you to check on you every week. I believe this will help bring unity. Staying on top of things. And listen to me, saints. If you're struggling, you don't have to tell the care captain what's going on. But please just be honest and say, hey, I need some extra prayer this week. That's all you got to tell them. They're not your pastor. But they are your brother or your sister. If it's, if it's a household that's just got ladies in it, then, then the, the man's wife is going to be calling you to check on you or texting you. But please be open and honest if you're struggling, if you're feeling discouraged, if it's bothering you that you're ready for pastor to come home, whatever. Please just be honest with your care captains. And again, you don't have to give them details. But respond. And then once a week, at the end of the week, they're going to check in with Brother Hilton. And he's going to stay on top of that. And when there are situations that he feels like need to come to my attention, they will. Now, where am I going to be during this time? I'm trying to cover everything. It's 9.15. I'm not even going to have anybody come to the piano tonight. I'm just going to dismiss you here in a minute. But in order to truly disconnect, and this is the one thing Brother Short told me. He, he, he looks to me as an elder in his life. He said, I can't tell you what to do. But he said, my advice is this. If you're going to do this, truly disconnect. And saints, I'm going to be honest. If I show up for church here, I will not disconnect. I care too much about you. It's just a fact. I can't. I know me. So when we're in town, I'm going to drive down to Lacina and be in church with my son-in-law will be there. I've got um, two of the men I sought counsel from, Brother John Burgess, who is on our board of elders, Brother William Riley, who is one of my peers and closest friends. Both of those men have asked that I come and spend some time with them and rest. They promised me they would not make me preach much. I will tell you that preaching off is not the same as pastoring. I can preach a message, and when I go home, I can sleep that night because I'm not worried about what's going on. It's the pastor's problem after I get through preaching my message. It's not nearly the stress that pastoring is. So I will do some preaching. I did make a phone call this afternoon to my other sons in the gospel, Brother Merriman and Brother Goff, to let them know I didn't want them hearing secondhand. I know Brother Merriman's got people in his church that listen to our services. So I called him ahead of time. Both of them have said they would like for me to come by there if I have time. 
I don't know that I'm going to have time to do everything that folks want me to do because I promise you three months is going to be the maximum, and I really am not sure it's going to be there that long. But I'm going to do my best, and I can promise you the more you let me heal and let me disconnect, the quicker I'll be back. Hallelujah. So, I wanted to let you know before we reach that point, because January 1st is going to start. If you've got any questions, you've got any problems with it, come see me. I, I promise you, it's not going to upset me for you to ask questions. I'd much rather you ask questions to me than to go around to somebody else and get things stirred up. I'll answer whatever questions I can answer. And I think I've proven to you I'm going to be fully transparent before this church. Now, my wife did not leave because she was mad. She, my daughter is flying into Kansas City, and she had to go pick her up at the airport. <laughs> Just making you aware. But let me make this appeal to you as I close tonight. Let's not look at this as downtime for this church. Brother Nelson, do you mind just standing and telling the church what you, what you said the other night? It, it, get, get the microphone down there to him. Muy pronto. Andale. Buenos dias. <laughs> I told uh, Bishop, he talked to the uh, leadership team, and I told him, said I really felt like this was the opportunity for us in the church to enter into a place to where we would use talents that God has given us, but we haven't used them because we haven't needed to use them. And it will put a fervency in the heart of each one of us to pursue it like we've never pursued it before. Not because Bishop is gone, but I believe God has brought this to a place to where it's time, and we as a church will rally together, and we'll grow together, and we'll, we, we will be behind Brother Hilton and Sister Hilton, and we will see, well, Bishop in three months, I hope you got a place to sit, is all I want to say, but I believe there will be more people on these pews in three months than there are tonight. Granite Jesus. Granite Jesus. I believe this is a great opportunity, church, for us to gain momentum. Yes. I really do. I believe it's a tremendous opportunity. The fact of the matter is I've had some of the greatest men of God praying for my health, and God has chosen not to heal me. All I can figure is God's doing something else. And so I'm asking this church, step up. Let's look at this not as a negative, but as a positive. We're going to use this to grow. We're going to use this to really go deeper. And to watch God produce greater things than we've ever experienced before. Do you feel that way about it tonight? Would you just stand and lift your hands to the Lord right now?
Let's thank God. Let's thank God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. One final thing to the ministers, the local ministers in the church. I don't know how much, if any, you'll be preaching during these three months. And please understand, but what I do feel like is the church probably needs to hear as few voices as possible during this time. I'm not saying it has to be only him all the time, but but it needs to be as few as possible during this time because we, want to, we just want to make sure that everything is smooth. So we're going, to, we're going to throw our support behind Brother and Sister Hilton. We're going to look to them as our leaders during this, during this time. For now, this is my Joshua, and he's going to be fighting in the Valley of Agilon. And I hope to be up on the mountain with my hands raised. <laughs> The few of my friends holding my hands up during that time. But God giving you victory all the way. God bless you. We do need to receive our offering tonight.